Research is a podcast that explores current nutritional research and health studies. Our lawyer says we have to let you know that this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informative purposes only. If you have any health questions, see your doctor or licensed health professional. Awesome. So welcome everybody to the REIT Search podcast. It is all about research on what we eat. And my name is Lisa. And I'm Lindsay. And we are your hosts for the podcast. Today, we actually have a different format and we will be interviewing a food scientist to answer a whole bunch of questions on protein powders. So welcome, Olivia. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us, Olivia. Let me just introduce our wonderful guest. Uh, Olivia Ward is joining us from Edmonton, Alberta. She has a Bachelor of Science in Nutrition and Food Science, as well as a Diploma in Holistic Nutrition. And then after you graduated, uh, you work now for the government. You help actually develop food products for the industry and you have a focus on plant protein powders. Is that correct? That is. Yeah. So I've worked in the food industry for the past five years. So I, when I graduated with my bachelor of science degree, I had started a holistic nutrition practice, uh, helping clients dive into their underlying symptoms going on in their body. And I had just, I had just graduated with my degree and was looking to apply these skills as well to, to something. So I had applied for a job with the government and there's a big research center just outside of Edmonton. I got a position there and I have been there for the past five years. So when I initially got hired, I was hired to start figuring out ways to use value added components of pulses. So what that means is pulses are pretty much a category of crops So we're looking at chickpeas, peas, lentils, and beans. And what value added means is we're taking that whole crop plant and we're splitting it into different components. So we're splitting it into maybe just the the milled source of that plant, which would be flour. Um, We're splitting it into a protein fraction, a starch fraction, maybe the fiber fraction, potentially a fat fraction if it was an oil seed, maybe like hemp or flax or canola, those would be plants with higher amounts of fat content. So when we split these components off of a plant, we then call it value added because we've now turned a whole plant into something with multiple avenues. And we want to learn how those can add either a nutritional benefit to our food, a functional benefit, which is really important in the food industry, because when we're making food for the masses, it has to sometimes have a different function so it can withstand the abuse it goes through in our distribution system, whether that be continuous freezing and thawing, uh, food safety measures, uh, shelf life, whatever it is. So there's different, there's different goals around doing this research. So I started off developing 10 new products with these pulse derivatives. And from there, my research had expanded into actually being hands-on with the technology for extraction and fractionation of pulse proteins. So yes, a lot of my experience has been around the plant, the plant-based world. Um, I haven't really worked heavily with any sort of animal protein extraction processes, but have worked pretty in depth with the plant-based 
avenues. And this is partly why we wanted to interview somebody like you with your experience, because we don't have that background. It's almost like as a Canadian who sees random food labels, you kind of take for granted things that have gone into the background of creating that food. It's Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, harvest and distribution, right? Like vegetables, but then you have things like protein powders and, and oils and, and things that are functional foods and can be part of a healthy diet and, and in different amounts. And we don't really know much about that. So thanks for the overview. Do you want to dive into a little bit about the protein specifically on how the um, powders are made? Yeah. So when we're looking at a plant-based protein, which could come from pea, hemp, rice, pumpkin seeds, maybe chia seeds, faba beans, there's so many different sources. We're usually looking at something called a dry fractionation and a wet fractionation process. So with these plants, whether they're grains, pulses, seeds, we have a whole plant, which if we went to the store, we could eat those as is, right? We could buy them, cook them, however, and eat them as is. So what we start with is we mill them into some sort of flour. During that process, we're also taking off the hull of the plant, which is the fiber component of the plant. Once it's into like a milled powder, then we can use a technology called air classification, which is splitting it into the protein and starch components even farther. So typically, depending on the plant we're starting with, if we're looking at pulses, they're usually around 20% protein to start with. And through that air classification process, we might be able to elevate the protein to about 40%. So the goal in each step of this is to keep increasing our protein concentration because that's what we're trying to achieve. Um, when we get to the highest amount of protein we can during that dry fractionation process, then we switch to wet fractionation, which means we're taking that, that powder that we've milled and we've increased the concentration through air classification. We're now adding water and mixing that into a slurry. So it kind of looks like a milky substance in big vats. Then that goes through a wet fractionation process, which means we're adding different chemicals to the, the slurry to adjust the pH. So um, with proteins, they'll only stay in solution if they're outside of their isoelectric point. If they're near their isoelectric point, which means the, the pH at which the solids fall out of the solution, then it's easier for us to actually extract the proteins out of that solution if they have separated and fallen away. So we want to get the pH closest to the isoelectric point so those proteins fall out of solution and we can centrifuge and pull the proteins off even farther. And you just keep repeating that step. Um, once we've gotten to the appropriate solids content, then we would adjust the pH back to neutral so it doesn't taste sour or really alkaline when you're eating it or mixing it into your smoothies. And then we spray dry. And spray drying is pretty much just evaporating the additional moisture off the product so you're left with a dry powder. That is the plant-based way of making protein powders. With animal-based protein, like I said, I haven't worked specifically with it, but typically we're starting with a byproduct from that initial commodity. So with uh, whey protein, that's a byproduct of the cheese making industry. They then have this liquid whey that they have to turn into a powder and concentrate. So 
what they usually do there is they use uh, ultra filtration. So you're already starting with wet fractionation. You're not really doing any sort of dry fractionation in that process. So with um, whey protein processing, they usually use ultra filtration, which is a membrane filtration process similar to reverse osmosis, which uses hydrostatic pressure to force water through a semi-permeable membrane. Then the suspended solids and solutes of high molecular weight are retained while the water and low molecular weight solutes pass through the membrane. So that's how they are concentrating the whey to sometimes 80 to 90% protein is through this ultrafiltration system. Then that's spray dried just like the plant proteins would be. This, I have to say, I love hearing you explain this because even with somebody with the science background, like I, I've worked in labs, I, I get a lot of these processes. I had no clue how these were made. And it now that you're explaining it to me, it's honestly in my head, not as scary as I thought it was going to be. I pictured something way worse. So I'm so glad that you're explaining this because, you know, I, I pictured, you know, tons of chemicals, but really like changing the pH is quite a simple process. And it totally makes sense because proteins dissolve in water, but in a lot of people who don't have a science background might not understand this. There is a certain pH at which proteins no longer will stay in solution. They won't dissolve anymore and they literally precipitate out. And you can actually go look up experiments on how to do this with milk because milk is actually like a high protein solution you know, you change and anybody who leaves milk in their fridge for too long knows that this happens, right? The pH goes off because of all the bacteria that produce acid, the pH drops, milk goes clumpy, and literally starts to precipitate out. That's that's what the clumps are in sour milk. And that's, that's what in some recipes, they'll tell you to add vinegar to milk to curdle yeah. milk before you add it. That's what's happening. So yeah. this is just in a much larger scale. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is awesome. I'm so glad that you clarified this. Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> and I want to clarify too, when we, when, when I'm using the term chemicals, it's not necessarily harsh chemicals. So typically you can do a pH adjustment with something as simple as hydrochloric acid, which is something, yeah, which is something is that's in our body anyway, right? Like this is not a scary chemical. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, this is just so mind blowing to me. <laughs> I was frozen there. So um, no, I'm so glad that you're clarifying this. Yes, hydrochloric acid in the lab because it's super concentrated, but it's not a scary chemical in itself. The other point I want to make too, while we're on this topic, everything is a chemical. And so when we talk about chemicals, it's not always we're adding chemicals meant to scare people. Like, you know, salt water is a chemical. It doesn't have to be this scary, complicated thing that I think people blow it up to be in their minds. You know, it's all simple processes on simple, like the basis for like pH and just solutions. It's foundational things. Yeah, it's simple foundational concepts in science that we're just using so that we can make things do what we want them to do. Right. Yeah. So yeah, usually with our pH adjustments, we're using hydrochloric acid, which is an acid that would drop the Mm -hmm. pH. It precipitates out, then we would use sodium hydroxide, which is an alkaline substance, which then brings the pH yeah. up. When you use those together, if you do like the theoretical chemical balancing, you're left with sodium chloride, right? Which would be salt. Yeah, just salt water. Yeah. So <laughs> that's all it is. I remember that <laughs> is that is the principle behind yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's that's 
absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for clarifying. Mm-hmm. Um, now I see in some protein powders, it talks about hydrolyzed. Why, what, like, what is this and, and why do they do it? So hydrolysis is, it's pretty much a process used in industry to break down long chain amino acids into peptides. So again, they do this either with chemicals or enzymes. And the reason why you want to do this is because the body has a harder time digesting and absorbing long chain amino acids versus a shorter chain, which would be a peptide. So that's typically why it's done. Um, You'll see it sometimes in whey proteins or uh, often in collagen powders. Um, You'll see collagen hydrosate, which is pretty much broken down into peptides so that you can absorb it easier. Collagen is very popular typically on the market. So it's interesting because collagen is unique in that it has 19 different amino acids, but typically, well, not typically, it only contains like three amino acids in a really high ratio where the other amino acids are just attaching to those in those peptide chains. So it's the, the highest content is hydroxyproline, glycine, and proline. And then the other amino acids are attaching to those peptide chains. Interesting. I did not know that. So it's, it can't be, it's not considered really a complete protein because the other amino acids are in such a low amount. That's funny because a lot of health professionals really promote collagen uh, as being this wonder protein that people can take that is going to fix everything. But it's, I didn't Mm -hmm. realize it's not a complete protein. Yeah. So the, the thing to know with collagen is everyone's ability to absorb an external source of collagen is going to be different. So for some clients, it could really be beneficial. Um, what I would like to suggest is that you try the, if that's something you think is right for your body, try it for a couple months and see, like, do you notice any uh, joint improvement, hair improvement, nail improvement, skin improvement? And if you don't, your body might not be absorbing it. And so that literally might be just a waste of money. Uh, what, what would be better is to actually support your body's innate collagen synthesis, synthesis pathway, which would mean consuming higher amounts of vitamin C. So through citrus fruits, bell peppers, kiwis, more, more fruits and vegetables to get that vitamin C, uh, sulfur containing foods, which would be your cruciferous vegetables, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, sprouts, and zinc, which you could get through pumpkin seeds, seafood, different animal meats, lots of nuts and seeds have zinc. So yeah, supporting the collagen synthesis pathway that's already in your body could be more beneficial if you're not actually absorbing the collagen that you're consuming externally. Those are really, really important points because really like the collagen we're consuming, you know, has the, like, they're just amino acids, they get broken down and then built up into whatever our body needs. But truly for people that need that extra support, and really, I think all of us need it because collagen is the basis. It's like the exoskeleton for everything. Really supporting those pathways is fundamental. So here's a question then, if somebody say vegetarian or vegan, what would the difference in the amino acid profiles be between like the collagen and some of the other plant protein powders that you've talked about? I don't know, like off the top of my head, the amino acid profiles, plant proteins are typically not considered a complete protein because they're usually lacking a few of the amino acids. Mm -hmm. So depending on what you're consuming, 
through a vegan or vegetarian diet, it would be better to sit down with either a nutritionist or look at, look at the profiles of what you're consuming. That's why when someone is transitioning to a vegan or vegetarian diet, we want to make sure there's lots of diversity so that they're getting amino acids from multiple sources and a variety of amino acids. Yeah. No, that's, uh, you're bringing up a lot of really good points, Olivia. I love it. Lisa, do you have any questions? Let me mull for a moment. Collagen is animal-based, right? Yeah, usually from bone or from, I believe, fish. So it could be like, I believe it's usually beef bone, sometimes chicken, and then also from fish. So those would all be byproducts of pretty much the slaughtering or fishing processes. I have a question that circles back to something you said earlier that caught my attention. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said that for the plant proteins, you kind of do that cycling to increase the concentration of it up to, I think you said 40%. And for the animal, I think you mentioned 80%. Is there a really vast difference in the amount of protein, I guess, per gram of the different types of protein powders that are available? Okay, so I'm going to back this up a little bit just to give you some context, because the amount of protein that is concentrated through each process or each step of the process, whether it's animal or plant-based is going to be different, but the end goal is to either create a concentrate or an isolate. So a concentrate would be greater than 70 to 80% protein within that range. You could call your product a a protein concentrate. If it is higher than 90% protein, you call it a protein isolate. So essentially if a company really wants to achieve an isolate because they can sell it for a premium price, right? Because you're getting 90% protein. What that means is now we've taken either that plant or that animal um, initial ingredient. So maybe it's the whey liquid or it's the, the milled pea flour, and we've taken it from maybe like 20% protein and we've concentrated it up to 90% protein, which now we have an isolate powder. What we've done in that process is we've stripped away all the additional fats, starches, fibers, vitamins, minerals. So we're left with the bulk 90% protein and 10% of it is additional things. So usually in a dry product of any sort of flour, we're looking at about 7% moisture is what you still have. So now if we take 90% protein, 7% moisture, we're left with 3% of something, which is usually considered ash. So if you burnt it all down, you'd be left with 3% weight in ash. So that could be a little bit of minerals, vitamins, fiber, starch. But it's very, very highly concentrated protein. And you can do that with a, a vast array of protein sources. Correct. Right. Okay, cool. Thanks for clarifying that. I have another question for you. So with the collagen powder, you talked about how it's hydrolyzed to break it down into smaller amino acid chains to help with absorption. How would that compare to protein powder absorption? Because protein powders can still be quite large. Is there any way that it's broken down to increase absorbency in the gut? And if not, like what would be the comparison in, in the absorption, if you know? So from my experience in industry, we weren't, we weren't processing based on looking at how the digestibility would be. Mm -hmm. Um, Health Canada does, does have 
some standards laid out as to the digestibility of different plant proteins. So if you are developing a product and you're adding a plant protein and you're wanting it to mimic um, something that would typically be animal-based, you have to prove through a theoretical calculation that you're meeting a specific protein digestibility ratio, or it's called a protein efficiency ratio. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at the digestibility factor, how much protein's in there, the protein concentration and all that. So specifically, I can't say whether the digestibility is going to be impacted in plant proteins. However, everyone's digestibility is going to be a little bit different depending on their stomach acid, other pathways in their body, what they're able to absorb, if there's any sort of gut imbalances. So it's, it's really hard to say. I find it curious that animal proteins are processed in a way to help break them down to increase the absorbance, but animal protein isolates are not. I might, am I even using the terms correctly? I think, so you were talking about animal proteins are processed to increase digestibility. Yeah, well, because the plant proteins are not. I think you might have said animal proteins, okay. but I know what you're <laughs> going with that. Um, yeah, the plant proteins from what I've seen, I'm sure there are companies that are looking at the digestibility mm-hmm. of it, but I did not see that in my experience. And I, I haven't looked into it farther outside of that to know which which proteins are being more absorbed or or in a form that could be more absorbed than others. So a couple of more questions. What exactly do you look at when you're looking for a good good candidate for a protein powder, for a plant-based protein powder? Are you looking, are you at, like, are you um, referring to the final product or the initial starting ingredient when we go into processing? Well, why don't you start at the beginning and talk about where, where you would start looking? Okay. So as um, someone in the food industry and food science, we would be looking at what, what is the initial kind of components in the plant product. So if we're looking at oil seeds, which has a high amount of oil or fat, to be able to concentrate that into a high protein powder, we have to somehow get the fat extracted out of that plant. Mm-hmm. So whether we're pressing it into an actual oil, which happens with flaxseed, or maybe we have to use, again, a chemical process like hexane to actually strip the fat off the plant. Mm -hmm. Um, It really depends on what the the starting components are of your plant. So that's what we'd be looking at. And then we'd be looking at too, like, is there a market for this? Is there a gap that we can fill in the industry? And is this an efficient way of, of creating the product? or the the end ingredient, because for example, there are companies that are making potato protein, which is more so used as a food industry application for functional purposes versus the consumer buying it off the shelf to use for nutritional purposes. But potato protein is extremely expensive because you're starting with about 10% protein in a potato. Mm -hmm. And then you're having to concentrate that up to maybe 60, 70, 80, 90%, depending on on what function they're trying to get out of that. So yeah, as a food scientist, you're looking at, is this even viable? Like, will, will people pay the astronomical amount for this if, if we're just doing it for a fun, innovative product? Yeah. No, those are very good points. Yeah. As a consumer, again, you're depending on what your needs are, you're going to be looking for different things. 
So if you're more into the athletic side, you're trying to build muscle, you're trying to achieve some of those like gains per se, you're probably going to be looking for a different protein powder or protein profile or amino acid profile than someone who's just maybe looking to like get a little bit of extra protein in, maybe have more of a convenient way to add protein. So it's, it's really going to be on an individual basis, but you want to make sure that you're getting something that's worth your value. So one of my um, favorite examples is with hemp hearts. So hemp hearts are such a nutrient dense product on their own without any sort of additional processing and on their own, they're 33% protein. Now, if you buy hemp protein powder, you're elevating that to 63% protein, but to achieve that, you're, you're actually decreasing the omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids pretty substantially. You're also having to strip away some of the, the vitamins and the minerals. So you're actually, you're overall, you're decreasing the nutritional value of that product when you're not, to me, the trade-off is not really there for the extra protein. Yeah. Well, it's so good on its own. Yeah. So for, in some cases, you're better off to, to eat the mm-hmm. whole food because you're not getting that much more of a, a nutritional benefit by getting the extracted fractionated product, which is then the protein powder. However, for someone who is maybe recovering from surgery or some sort of wound and has a really hard time getting that protein in, a protein powder could be extremely beneficial to them um, to meet those needs just for that recovery process. Well, and for busy, I mean, protein powders definitely have their place. I met somebody a little while ago who was, uh, she had decided to go vegetarian, very busy lifestyle, hard for her to consume meals at work because she's on her feet a lot. And we did some calculations as we were sitting together and she was eating like 15 grams of protein a day. And I was like, no, forget everything else in nutrition. You need protein. (laughs) And one of my suggestions was, you know what? You need to make yourself a protein powder, bring it to work so that you can just be sipping on it all day. It's not something I would really recommend to most people, but in that situation, it definitely will help make sure she's getting the minimum protein requirements in a really quick, efficient way. And then when things are in liquid form already, it is, I believe, a little bit more digestible and absorbable. Of course, yeah, there's a time and place for all of this and everyone's needs are going to be a little bit different. For myself, I don't feel like I need to supplement my diet with a lot of protein powders because I'm getting it from so many minimally processed sources from plants and animals. But there's been times where I've been through school and it's been super hectic and yeah, just like you said, the convenience of it is, is nice to have to be able to add in. So it really depends on the profile of what you're consuming, the nutrient density of your food, convenience, accessibility. If you have it in your budget to pay for some of these, because they can be more expensive than a whole food source of protein. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad that we talked about that. The other, I think one of the last questions we have will be respectful of your time. In your overall opinion, using your food science as well as your holistic health perspective, do you consider protein powders processed, ultra processed, and would you consider them like a good food or food tool overall? Okay. So with the 
the um, ultra processed and minimally processed definitions. I think you guys did a, a previous podcast on this, right? With the four classifications we did. set out by Nova. Yep. Okay, cool. So I would definitely recommend go listen to that if you are not familiar with these four classifications. Because I think the word processed food is so daunting to the average consumer. There's a lot of shame around it. People don't want to feel like they just consume processed foods. They want to, they want to be able to incorporate fresh things, but maybe it's not accessible to them. It's not cost effective, all these things. So I, I really want to, to try and break down some of the barriers around processed. Processed doesn't mean good or bad. There's a place for it all. I eat processed food. It's not always nutritionally dense, but it serves a purpose in my life. If it's my birthday and I want to eat processed dairy-free ice cream because dairy makes my stomach hurt, it's still loaded with sugar. I'm not getting hardly <laughs> any nutrients from it, but it's making me freaking happy. <laughs> so, so exactly. So I love it. <laughs> let's just not categorize it as good or bad, but there, there is a place for everything. So if we looked at Nova's definitions of the four classifications of processing, ultra process means that we're using some sort of technology or sophisticated equipment to achieve a desired goal. So typically when we think ultra process, like my, my initial stigma of ultra process is like purple ketchup, <laughs> yes, cheese slices, uh, <laughs> hot dogs, bologna, right? Like that's my yeah. initial thought of ultra process. But when you dive into the, the technology and the definition a little bit more, it's not necessarily always a high density or sorry, a high energy density, low micronutrient content. Um, it could be some sort of extraction process. Like we're talking about now where we're taking the whole plant, we're having to use a technology and sophisticated equipment to achieve that protein isolate. So by Nova's definition, a protein isolate or a protein concentrate or a protein powder is considered an ultra processed food. It's not necessarily a bad Thing. It just means that we didn't get that strictly from nature. We had to incorporate some sort of technology to get that food ingredient to the market, which the majority of our food is. If Unless you have a garden, you're able to can and preserve all of your food, you're able to shoot a deer in your backyard and slaughter it on site. Mm -hmm. we, we all eat processed food to some extent, right? So yeah, there's, there should be no shame around that. What I like to talk about with clients is let's look at the nutrient density profile. Are, are you getting the nutrients that you need to optimize mm -hmm. the pathways in your body to feel your best? And you know somewhat where your food is coming from and what goes into it. So I think that's important. As for consuming plant proteins or animal protein powders, yes, absolutely. If that works for your body, really tune in to how that makes you feel. Some people really don't feel great eating either. So that's fine. You can get plant or you can get protein from other sources, right? Adding nuts and seeds into your diet, legumes. If you do eat animal products, eggs, dairy, meat, like there's so many other ways to, to achieve that without necessarily needing the, the protein powders. I think that's, you're bringing a lot of really good points to the table and really, Again, what Lisa and I highly encourage is just educating yourself on the options available mm -hmm. to you, whoever you are as an individual, 
so that you can custom design the diet that's right for you because everybody is so biologically unique and what works for one may not work for another. And so it it really is just about finding that balance that, that fits your body, your biology, your lifestyle, your morals and go with that. I really agree with you on how there is no really, with the exception of a, with very, very few minor exceptions, there really is no good food and bad food. And it's really about finding that right balance so that you feel good. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And I think too, like, it's important to know that your protein needs throughout your life are going to change. Yes. So if you are extremely active, you're going to need a little bit more versus Maybe if you're more sedentary, if you're pregnant or lactating, you're going to need a little bit more to sustain that energy Mm -hmm. that you are using for that additional growth. So yeah, we, as um, nutritional consultants, we calculate that based on kind of where you're at, Mm -hmm. but on average, it's around one gram per kilogram of protein. So if you are listening to this and you want to try and calculate how much protein you're consuming currently you would take your body weight, convert that to kilograms, and then times that by one. So whatever you are in kilograms is how much you would typically want to be targeting for protein consumption from any source. Any source that works for your body that you feel good digesting, that you feel energized with. If you're not feeling, if you're feeling bloated, uncomfortable, nauseated sluggish nauseated yeah. with these that's probably not digesting well in your body and you might want to look at a different source yeah so if you want to do a quick calculation that's how you figure it out again if you're more active if you're breastfeeding if you're pregnant then it's going to go up a little bit if you're recovering from some sort of wound or surgery it might go up a little bit mm-hmm Yeah, I had to go in for surgery a little while ago. And I remember the doctor saying to me as I was about to go home, she's like, you have a lot of recovering to do. So I want you to eat whatever you want and lots of it. And I was like, seriously? (laughs) She's like, yeah, you need the calories and you need the protein. So just eat. And my kids were so funny because they were like, wow, mom, like you're really hungry. I'm like, I feel like I can't stop eating right now. (laughs) because I had a lot of recovery to do, but it's it's true it will change you know throughout your lifetime depending on what's going on in your life and how active you are and you really have to stay in tune with your body and what it's telling you and and try and give it what it needs Mm -hmm. yeah and I find it so fascinating that typically nature's so smart in designing foods that work synergistically with each other Mm -hmm. so if you are able to consume protein from its whole source um you're usually getting the benefits of the nutrients uh, with it, right? Yes. So again, coming back to hemp, like there's there's ma- manganese in one serving that is your your 100% daily value. And if we take the protein powder, we strip that away. Yeah. So that leads me balance. into a, yeah, I totally, totally agree with um, everything that you guys are saying in terms of your body and needing protein and various sources, whether they're processed or unprocessed, you have your needs and they are going to change throughout your life. So this is, this is awesome. But one of the things you just said got me into possibly our very last question for you. And that is about the different fractions that you make, like when you're creating a Um, a protein powder, you are removing other things so you can concentrate the protein. So you mentioned that the seed oils 
can be removed and then those can be like sold, for example, like hemp seed oil or flaxseed oil, whatever. What happens to the other fractions, the starches, the fiber, are those wasted? Do they go to animal feed? Are they created into other food products? I'm just wondering from a overall food waste perspective as well, like how efficient are we when we're processing like a pulse into a protein? That is a great question. So typically industry wants to find a use for that because if not, they have to pay to discard it. So with pulses, a huge fraction of it is starch. There's not a lot of fat in or oil in in pulses. So when you're left with a huge portion of starch, that starch, if it's not agitated in liquid, um, it turns to literally cement, like it gets so hard. So you can't just dump that down the drains. It has to be discarded appropriately. Or typically what industry is doing is they're turning it into like a spray dried pea starch, potato starch, corn starch, whatever sort of starch component that can be used in food industry or foods that we consume. It's used in a lot of cereals or puff snacks are usually starch based used in for functional um, effects such as thickening ingredients, baking, sauces, that kind of thing as an emulsifier, or a stabilizer, or a thickener. So yeah, industry is finding ways to use it. There is a little bit that goes to the livestock feed, but for the most part, they're trying to find that that would be considered a value added, I guess, mechanism within the food industry is. So, so we've created this awesome protein powder. Now we have all these other streams that we have to deal with. Right. How can we value add them to other products as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some companies, they're starting to create the, the fibers from these, these hulls that are removed from the plants. And then they're using that either as a nutritional aspect into their food products or as a functional product. Fiber can sometimes hold a lot of water, which then um, can be beneficial in different food applications. Awesome. Thank You're you. starting to see now too, um, in the meat industry, they're getting really, really curious about flexitarian diet. So not necessarily making vegan products, but incorporating plants into the meat. So some companies are incorporating fibers into the meat so that they can get a claim on the label for a source of fiber. So there's, yeah, there's, a, there's different innovative ways that the industry is moving to, to incorporate these waste streams. That's awesome. That's great to hear. I, I suspect it as much, but it's, uh, it's good to know that's happening. We're kind of trying to use as much as we have as well as we can and, you know, pass it on to secondary products and, and other foods products as well. Awesome. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you so, so much, Olivia, for this awesome, awesome time that we're able to spend together. Uh, You've educated both Lisa and I, and uh, I think anybody who is listening today, it has been invaluable. If anybody would like to learn more about you, uh, where can they find you? You can find me at my website, www.livelivnourished.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at livenourished.com or sorry, just livenourished (laughs) at livenourished. Yes. Well, thank you. We truly uh, appreciated this very valuable time that you spent with us and all the information. Thank you. I appreciate having me. Thank you. We, I I know I learned a lot of things and I haven't been working in the food industry for like 20 years now. I had a really short time there so I can picture everything you're saying. And it's just, it's so, it's so interesting. Yes. Thanks so much. You're so welcome.